Scale Well Podcast. How to use technology to scale your business. Welcome back to another episode of the Scale Well Podcast, guys. My name is Phil Bean. I'm here with my co-founder, Matt Gamble. We together work on Nudge Coach, an easy-to-use client management platform for wellness businesses. And today, Mac, we get to tie together a lot of the things we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, including digital business models and evergreen content and all kinds of stuff like that. So we have a good guest with us today to bring some of this together. Um, I want to welcome in Phil Wright. He's a a former British intelligence interpreter, Arabic interpreter, uh, turned successful fitness business owner who's now managing director of Primal Academy in the UK, a leading fitness education provider offering a revolutionary approach to fitness and continuing professional development courses. Phil, thanks for being here with us. It's an absolute pleasure. Pleasure and well done with that mouthful as well. It just rolled off the tongue. It felt right the whole way. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel kind of intimidated on this one because there's two people named Phil on here and I'm not named Phil. <laughs> so this is just a conspiracy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Phil, it's great having you. I was really excited to connect with you when, when we were introduced. And just like I said, we've actually had partners who I've spoken to in the past or giving demos and they've you know, asked them how they heard about us or where they came from or you know, how have they gotten into the whole idea of kind of digital coaching. And apparently, you've created this movement over there in the UK. So just really excited to learn more and kind of hear your story. You know, how did you create the Primal Academy? You know, to walk us through that whole process. Um, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try not and spend too long, but I, I suppose a good starting point is, as you mentioned, I, I spent time in the forces, so um, I didn't always know where I wanted to end up. I certainly, you know, at leaving college, university, I didn't really, I wasn't sure where I'd be going um, and kind of fell into this industry by accident. Um, I very much joined the forces um, on a whim of thinking, I've finished university. Like most students, I've got a lot of debt that I need to repay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I have no idea what drew me to joining the army. But hey, I did it and um, loved my time and, and kind of ended up being an, an Arabic and, and to, interpreter. So completely random and completely different. I suppose the, <laughs> the tie-in was obviously being in the forces. It's a physical job. It's a, you know, and, and the nature of what I was doing it demanded a certain level of fitness. And I suppose across my seven years, um, it just became more and more of a passion, a personal passion. And I found myself giving advice, you know, unqualified, but people were coming to me for pointers on fitness, on nutrition. Um, and I really enjoyed being able to help people. Um, and, and I suppose that just kind of naturally led me to think, do you know what? I, I would love to actually do this for a living. Um, and uh, it felt like a good time to leave the forces because whilst I loved it and had some crazy experiences out in the Middle East, um, it, it is quite a you know you give your it is more than a job. You give your life to it and you travel mm-hmm. a lot. And and I just knew that you know I I was ready to leave. Um, so I retrained as a personal trainer and had a really sort of a deep end introduction to personal training. So I'd gone from a, you know, a well-paid job in the forces um, to then being completely self-employed, having no clients and then building my client base. From scratch, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I, I don't know exactly how PTs operate in gyms in America, 
Um, but in the UK at that time, and, and still quite, quite popular, is the rental model. So as a PT, you pay to be in a gym. You pay a monthly uh, rate, um, and it's quite a substantial rate, obviously dependent on geography. But I was paying you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds per month to be able to personal train in a city center gym. Um, and it was a really steep learning curve for me. And, uh, uh, you know, within the space of about six months, I'd gone from not being a personal trainer to successfully having a, a big client base and also mentoring other trainers as well within just six months. And then by 12 months, I was managing and mentoring a, a number of trainers across a series of gyms as well as having my own PT client base. So it was really rapid. And looking back, I would actually say it kind of all happened a bit too quickly. Um, you know, and I, I, I learned some really good lessons and, and many painful lessons, uh, you know, and I'll share one of those. Um, I think, you know, I, I've never studied business. And obviously, being a PT, you, you've got to learn not just the, the technical side of training people and giving mm-hmm. people nutritional support. You need to know how to build and run a business. Um, and I'm sure we can all relate with things that we've perhaps over, overlooked, but you know, I got scolded, but burnt by a, by a, a client that ended up owing me a lot of money. And, um, and that was my own negligence really start, you know, working with a client that didn't pay up front and didn't commit to a certain program. And it just right. kind of got out of hand and, and that had ended up sort of scolding me quite badly. And, that was a really painful lesson, but actually it was a really good lesson to learn quite early on, you know, have, have really good terms and conditions, make sure people sign up to programs and obviously pay up front. And so, so whilst it was painful in the moment, um, it's, it's helped me, you know, push yeah, on from yeah. that and, and learn from it. And quite often I think in life, you know, the, the painful lessons are the ones that, that, you know, <laughs> are the most helpful. Um, and, and I think, as I said, I was already in a position where I was mentor, mentoring other trainers. That kind of just led me towards um, enjoying that process of not just training people, but helping other trainers train people. And um, I suppose, once again, accidentally found myself writing training material that um, eventually ended up becoming a course. Um, and in doing that, effectively i'd sort of set up a <laughs> provider <laughs> so you accidentally created primal academy <laughs> it was an accident i fell over one day i bumped my head and, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm delivering classes um yeah. Yeah, it, it was actually a client that suggested i should set up a training provider because um it was a you know client you build such incredible relationships with clients but you know quite often they become really good friendships and um, and that can work both ways. You know, we provide really good support for them to achieve their goals. And, uh, you know, they're, they're often really good sounding boards. And um, quite a few of my clients were quite successful, high-flying people who I very much respected. And I would use them as, as a sounding board. And they'd very much volunteer their assistance and look at the material that I was writing and they would give feedback and they just said, you know, one in particular suggested, you know, this is really good content. You should consider looking at accreditation and endorsements. And, you know, it wasn't anything that I'd ever, ever looked at previously. So just, 
went through that process of doing a little bit of research, looking into what accreditation was, right, right. how you would go about getting it, what the what the sort of um, the uh, the sort of the requirements were as an organisation to fulfil the sort of the quality standards and all of that type of stuff. Um, and, and, and successfully got that accreditation. Um, and so what started, year was this, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so that was um, 2008. So okay. 2008 was when I set up the, uh, the company as a training provider, but I'd only actually started as a P. This is how quick it went, and it sounds ridiculous <laughs> to even recall it, because I left the forces in 2007, you know, started personal training in 2007, then a year later I'm, I'm setting up a training company Right. Um, I, I suppose to sort of qualify my own experience in, you know, my seven years in the forces, I, I had a, a significant amount of training experience. So I was very confident with, you know, from a training aspect mm-hmm. of the, the co- content that, that we were looking at. Um, and so, sort of, yeah, going back to the, the setting up of the courses, um, that again, it sort of happened by accident a little bit. And over a period of a, a few years, uh, set up, kind of added to that initial course and set up a series of other courses. Um, and I suppose to put these into context, these were kind of short, very skill-specific courses. So one or two days, um, for example, a kettlebell instructor, and um, they, these are really random. Yeah. I suppose it paints the picture, MMA conditioning, um, a boot camp instructor, quite specialist skills that help PTs stand out and specialize in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the, the kind of the point that I got to was that the, this, this kind of mishmash of courses was being developed, but with no real strategic path for people to, to kind of go along. You know, we ended up with a portfolio of courses that were all really good. The feedback was always really positive, um, but they were very much based upon the skill set that we had within the team. And yeah, the, and yeah it, as I said, it kind of happened by accident and therefore I hadn't really set a real strategic plan. Um, so it got to a certain point and we kind of had this much bigger set of courses and it just made sense to sit back, look at it all and think, well, how are we actually helping trainers? Because, Mm -hmm. because they can kind of come to us and pick a mix with one course or two, but there's no real journey for them. And yes, we do get repeat business, but, but, um, you, you know, we want to help them more and take them on a bit of a journey because certainly in the UK, it's a, it's a bit of an issue for trainers as a person interested in becoming a personal trainer, you would qualify over here. It's called a, a level three. So you mm-hmm. would qualify at level three as a personal trainer, but there's no real clear journey from there on in. And we all know how important continued development is. Right. Right. Things move quickly. Um, and if, you know, if you're not sort of learning and keeping up with times and specializing, you're either stagnating at best and, and probably more, more realistically, you're moving backwards in some degree. So, so, so we wanted to create more of a, a journey, a, a learning experience that people would step into and continue on. And, and that's what we did with sort of restructuring it. 
So it sounds like you all started primarily with kind of specific skills for helping trainers kind of extend their skill set a little bit. At some point, I, th- I was on your website a while ago, it looks like you've started kind of expanding into lessons on business. And, you know, yeah. so walk me through the process a little bit on that. You know, what, what was the aha moment you start having people start asking, you know, hey, Phil, how do I market myself? How do I, you know, find clients? Did you start having more kind of questions and users driving that direction? Yeah, a lot of that has has really come from just having that good relationship with our customers. So, you know, the feedback on the courses, you know, the uh, as an example, you know, we'd always get a lot of comments like, you know, love the material, absolutely loved it, buzzing after completing this course. How do I now apply this into my business and make money from it? Um, So that kind of causes you to think, well, okay, that's a really good point and we need to start looking at that. It's the application because the the skill, the technical side is always just part of it. It's the application that really brings it to life. Um, And so that's how we've kind of transitioned with all of that. Um, education and content that we put out there it's providing the tools and skills necessary to be able to make use of it awesome Uh, yeah so yeah so i don't know if that answers your question yeah no no for sure yeah it's certainly learner-led well i think it's it's we've seen that too just with what we've done with, with with nudge coach and some of our content is we get a lot of feedback We'll even have people send us messages through the website all the time, just asking about, you know, how do you apply some of these lessons for, you know, to turn it into real monetization and see any kind of real return. Yeah. Um, it, it, so one question there for you too, because I think before we get too far, we're seeing a lot of professionals right now in the industry trying to launch digital models of different kinds. And I think one thing we're always really focused on with, with this podcast with scale well is simply looking at, you know, how did you take all of this content and wrap it up and package it and, you know, create a real model around it? Because that's something we see a lot of people asking about, you know, should content be free to attract people? And we do some of that with Nudge. Or is this something it should all be premium content a person's buying? Is it a part of my other packages? Is it separate? How did you approach, you know, and I know there are multiple questions in there, but how did you approach the content and kind of packaging it and commercializing that concept? Ooh, that is quite a, quite a big question. So um, so keep me on track if I'm... Yeah, sorry about that. Bit, My brain yeah. goes a thousand different ways. I like it. I like it. It's, uh, you know, I'm in good company then. So <laughs> um, um, I suppose firstly was we found through perhaps the nature of how we run the business that we've got quite a, a strong knit and interactive community mm-hmm. that very much existed on Facebook. So, so all of the trainers who had come onto our courses were all connected within our Facebook group and Facebook pages um, and, and they're really highly interactive. So, so certainly something that remained in, or so was important in the initial phases and is probably more so important now was to maintain that personal contact um, through, within our community. And I think that's important yeah. in terms of any scalable business because certainly to my mind, and I'm sure that uh, there are different opinions and certainly when it comes to different products and services, probably different ideas on this, but I think with what we do as fitness professionals, you know, people buy from people, you know, yep. yes, they're buying, they might be buying fat loss. Yes. They might be buying the, the result and buying into that, but ultimately they're buying into the person that's offering that. And I think 
when it comes to scaling up a fitness business and looking at a digital version of a product that perhaps historically has been delivered face to face, you've got to look at ways of maintaining that, that, um, that personal connection. Mm-hmm. And so Facebook was a really useful vehicle for us to maintain that, you know, both through just posting and asking questions and just engagement and interaction. And now obviously Facebook's moved on and you can live stream. So we do our best to make really good use of those tools um, and just to really maintain that connection because yeah, people buy from people. And I would say that absolutely applies when it comes to fitness. Yeah, there's a quote, I, I, someone much more intelligent than myself, it could have even been Phil Bean, but that may be giving <laughs> Yeah, basically bad. said, you know, when you, when you start a product and look at a service, you actually shouldn't start from a more scalable approach. You should actually start everything with like the least scalable approach as possible. Because I think for part of the reason you just mentioned, you have to really fully understand the needs of your customer base, you know, really relate to people at a human level you shouldn't just go about everything in the most scalable approach because you may overlook some of those items as you're growing. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting to hear you say that. The follow-up question to this though is just simply, as you started digitizing your offering, how did you land on pricing? Was, did, has that fluctuated a lot or is that pretty natural for you all to just create a course and say, boom, it's this much money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I guess in the initial phase of price point um i was very much a case looking back at uh, researching what our competitors were doing and um not going straight to the top i'm, I'm just going back to the very early days you know mm-hmm. of, of me perhaps being a very small fish in a big pond and thinking are we really good enough to price that and right right then thinking well we're, we're certainly better than dirt cheap and i'm not prepared to to price ourselves at those points. So, so I would say we kind of priced ourselves above mid market, but yeah. not right at the premium. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know whether actual numbers yeah. would mean all that much um, over there, but yeah, for, for a standard two day course, we priced it around initially about 250 pounds. Um, uh, so, so we weren't the cheapest by any stretch yep. of the imagination, but there were certainly more expensive courses that people could subscribe to. So that's kind of how we started. It was kind of just looking at what the competitors are doing and sort of, yeah. And, and using that as a bit of a guide, um, yes. how that's changed and evolved. I, I think, um, I think over a period of time, what you I've certainly learned more the the value and the impact of what we offer. And as, as, as I mentioned before, what we've worked really hard on is, um, is the application is giving people the tools to apply it. And in doing so, you know, turn things into revenue generating mm-hmm. things. Um, and that's given us the confidence to price things a little more highly. Um, because you know, we, we, I certainly to my mind, I would rather work with a smaller number of people and help them all succeed and use such tools rather than just sell out a course and, and get bums on seats for the sake of it. Right. I, I suppose the way I look at the learning experience is very much the way in which a personal trainer would look at their clients is, is that I feel like I am a really critical stakeholder in their journey. 
Mm -hmm. So I want learners to come on a course, but I also want to see them use it and grow and develop and whether that's get more clients or whether it's apply things and offer better results or whatever that means to them. So, so I, you know, to maintain that kind of that connection, I, I want to invest in people beyond just a two day course. Yeah. yeah. So as far as managing these courses, now that you've gone online, but you want to retain this kind of personal engagement that you talk about, what are some yeah. of the tools you're able to use that help you continue to provide that connection and help those people that are going through the online courses feel like they're getting that personal attention they need? So, so we, um, so about, uh, 18 months ago, I would say we just started to dabble, to dabble with, um, with, using an online learning platform. So we, we mentioned briefly, so we use LearnDash, which sits mm -hmm. within a WordPress site. Um, I'm not a tech guru, so for me, this was, this was really, you know, and I live in the north of England, so I don't know how your geography is, but generally we're considered a slightly less bright um, <laughs> demographic of individuals than, uh, than our southern counterparts. We're, we're, in, we're in the south here in the U.S., and we're... <laughs> way so i think we're all, we're all you know part of shared company here <laughs> um so so yeah so we we started to dabble with with learn uh learn dash which enables us to create online courses and create content that can be very scalable and accessed for by people so that was that was part of it and i suppose what that's done is that's um that kind of, for me, represents classroom time. Um, so we're, we're able to give that kind of, that one, initially one directional content for people to access. Um, but there are ways to make it interactive. So really simple things like um, embedding quizzes and giving learners the ability to upload videos for us to feed back on or upload files for us to review. So it is very much a two-way process. So that that in itself is is quite helpful. And on one level, it's quite it's it's not the most personal thing because people are watching videos that uh, have been created once, and yeah. mm -hmm. you know, lots of people. So that side of it isn't the most personal side, but the the sort of the other way. Uh, if if I'm a learner, uploading a video of me. Um, you know coaching a particular client and then there's a feedback process that comes back that's a very intimate and personal thing because they've got someone looking at their their work and then reviewing and feedback so that's mm -hmm. really good um, and then outside of sort of the the learn dash and the wordpress site we we offer and we give mentoring and that very much is is done via certainly to people here in the UK. It's done by phone calls, emails. Is, is that free or is that a part of a purchase of a course? Yeah, so that that would uh, form as part of a program. So if, okay. if someone came onto just a course, then that wouldn't necessarily be part of that. But if someone was subscribing to let's say P one, which is yep. one programs that we offer then the mentoring is very much a part of that and um, and that is a 12-month program mm -hmm. yeah that's great um, so we had an interesting conversation on our last episode with a, a clinical psychologist so I got kind of the kind of the psychologist perspective on this question last time but I'm curious to hear what 
comes <laughs> yeah. from the, the British intelligence agent background. Stretch is on. Different direction here, but um, <laughs> she was talking about really what's what she thinks is holding people back who are trying to, you know, they're they're training to become a personal trainer or trying mm. to launch their business and their heart's in the right place and they're really good at working with clients, but there are things that are holding them back in terms of being confident enough to price themselves appropriately or going out and getting enough business. Um, she came back to fear, which is such a psychologist answer, right? She's yeah. oh, it's just, you know, fear in general and not trusting yourself. Get out of your what, own way. Yeah. What, what do you think, you know, from your perspective, when you talk to some of the folks that are going through your courses is, is something that people really struggle with that holds them back from really achieving the success they're striving for? Oh, do you know what? Now that you've planted that seed of fear in my mind, <laughs> I'm quite inclined to sort of side with it a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, in, in various guises as well. Um, I think that there is an innate fear in certainly people that aren't yet a personal trainer that are considering taking that path and following that career journey um, of, of living up to a certain thing. You know, a personal trainer is this, you know, a personal trainer looks like this, right, a personal right. trainer does this. There's a perception of, of being a certain way. And I think people struggle with perhaps feeling either a sense of inadequacy or a sense of fear of not quite delivering on that, not looking like what they might perceive a personal trainer is to look like or not behaving in a certain way. And, and I think there, there is certainly, you know, a confidence thing and a, and a fear thing linked with that. Um, and also, um, I don't know if this is a British thing, um, or whether it's something that you can relate with as well, but for some really weird reason, um, a lot of people are fearful of giving too much away for free. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but it's this fear that, well, why are they going to pay money if I'm giving that information for free? I'll give them like half a sentence, but they can pay for the second half. It's like, oh, my, what is that odd mindset? And I'm, I'm not sure if it's a British thing, but um, you know, I see things completely differently right. to that. I think, you know, the, it's all about building trust. You know, you are building relationships and you need to get on with people. You need to learn about them, find out more about them and, and get to a position where they trust you and you trust them. And, you know, that's a really healthy, mm -hmm. healthy place for an, a good working relationship to develop. And um, yeah, I just don't get the whole mindset of being fearful for giving too much away. Yeah, and I think, I think that's brilliant. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I think we we see that question all the time come up, and I know we've created some. You know, we've created a lot of content around the whole idea of using, you know, health tracking tools and devices with clients or with patients across our partner network. And we, I think, we give a significant portion away because, for to your point. It, there's so trust is such a huge factor. I mean, it's the reason we do this podcast or if you're watching the webcast, it's yeah. just at the end of the day, no one wants to do business with sketchy people. <laughs> no, no. So, you know, I, I think what you're, what you're doing is kind of spot on. So, I th so have you taken some of your content? Are you giving some of it away now on the Primal Academy website? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we, I mean, we, we try to sort of just c- commit to every week and, and we should do it more regularly, yeah. to be honest. I mean, um, I'm not going to even make excuses for why we haven't done it more regularly, but certainly at least once a week, we're, we're just providing videos that just give content away and just give ideas and thoughts and things mm. for people to try and do. And that's you know, it's not always, and very rarely is it a, a link or a direct sales pitch that can then, you know, if you want to find out a bit more, then you might want to give us some money for this. It's not yeah. about that. It's just, it's all about just, we want to help people. Yeah. And that is, you know, uh, obviously we want to build that relationship and develop the trust, but yeah. Well, yeah, Phil, we- you'll be really excited to learn. This is actually going to be free. <laughs> this is free content. This is what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, always confuses me why people are fearful. Um, yeah. And it's perhaps linked in with a a confidence thing or a self-esteem thing or, um, yeah. And the the other thing, just going back to the original question, it was, um, that I think, you know, linked with the fear thing, um, you know, people don't, I forgot my original point now was, uh, Oh, what was I going to say? Um, I think, and again, it may be a British thing, but people feel inadequate in themselves sometimes. And I think because I do a lot of the mentoring side, so, um, you know, and you you know what it's like working with clients. They often tell you more than you bargain to receive. You know, you, you really do close relationships with people, but, but trainers and a lot of people wanting to become trainers really struggle with the, with the confidence side of it, you know, because again, there are these um, uh, role models and ideals of what a trainer should look like and should be like. And, and if people don't see themselves as being that, then it hit their confidence really badly. So yeah. Yeah. So, so we I, all just need to be more confident, stop being fearful and, and take and the just, yeah, I, I would say that, um, and I've, I've remembered my, my original point, and this was something that, that really helped me succeed because going right back to the start of my journey, you know, within six months, I, I had a full client base and, and, um, and I was mentoring other trainers. It all happened really too quickly, but, but I remember my first day walking into the gym. I'd, I had no clients. I walked into a gym and all of the PTs there had been there for sort of seven, eight years. They were all sort of late 20s, mid 30s, extreme. Well, certainly to my mind, they were extremely confident, extrovert people. And it just felt like I was stepping into the lion's den. Yeah. And, um, and I just thought, you know, so I remember after the first two days, I was I was kind of having a bit of a wobble and thinking, really, you know, can I actually do this? Can I compete with those people who've already got the existing relationships with the entire membership of the gym? These people are well known. You know, if someone's thinking about personal training, they are not going to come to the new fresh face, wet behind the ears dude that hasn't personal trained anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to go to those people who know them and speak to them every day. Um, but I just stuck to what I knew and, and that was just being myself. And, and I think it was that, that, that perhaps, you know, was the real sort yeah. of, for me, bedrock of, of, you know, being successful and, and yeah, yeah. Building a really strong client base. It was just being myself, not trying to be anything else other than who I was. And I yeah. think 
if you're natural and you just allow that to come across, you know, it'll speak volumes for you rather yeah. than trying to be, you yeah. know, something else. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's great. I'll, yeah. I'll turn it over to you. No, that's a great point to end on as well. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of, we've touched on it on consecutive episodes, but, you know, just trusting who you are has become a big part of the message that our podcast has accidentally become about. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah. But, um, Phil Wright, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, where can yeah. you go to check out more about Primal Academy and what you guys are doing? Yeah, so we've, um, as I said, we've we've been we've kind of switched, and we still do deliver face-to-face courses here in sunny Leeds in in the UK. <laughs> but um, but we have gone online, um, and although my legs get a little bit shaky when I even say the word online because I am so <laughs> far away from being any sort of tech geek. Um, but yeah, we our, our uh, online e-learning platform is learn.primalacademy.co.uk, and we've got a um, a series of online courses that cover sort of more technical skills and business related and there will be some nutritional programs going online uh, in 2017 as well so yeah i'm really excited about that awesome phil wright thanks so much for joining us and guys go check him out in primal academy and what they're doing over there really cool stuff and please download or subscribe or even if you really like it rate the scale well podcast for us we'd really love to hear what you guys are think or thinking and we'll uh we'll talk to you next time thanks a lot we need a confidence boost that's the theme it's all about confidence so yeah any any reviews certainly help